Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. And also dads who are handsome and masculine, but also vulnerable at the same time. (laughs) Yep, Adam's back. I really do believe that one of the best things that you can do for your kids is to show them, like to demonstrate how to self-soothe. So not only are they going to be learning, but they are going to see you actively self-soothing. So whether that means, you know, exercising or going for a walk or doing certain behaviors that clearly, like your, your kids can witness you going from super stressed out or irritable or whatever to much calmer and easier to deal with, they're going to realize that this is something that they can learn how to do too. And I'm a big believer in that. Hi, everybody. I have invited Adam, my husband, to uh, do this introduction with me. So today's episode is about mama transitions, and we discuss how to handle overwhelm and change. And I'm 13 weeks pregnant with our second child, so my body is changing rapidly, and our family dynamic is about to get a big makeover. I am not excellent at transitions. No, no, you're not. Which is lucky for you. It's probably why we stayed married. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So um, we've been living (laughs) in the same house. I married you. Uh, Why? Bad at transitions. (laughs) I mean, also, we know I'm bad at transitions from just listening to the podcast. I remember asking CNN's Kate Baldwin, like, how do you do transitions and questions? So we've been living in the same house since 2008. In this episode, we actually talk about the transitions and moving, because obviously that's something that I haven't even like gone near in a decade. You know, I just like keeping things the same. I'm actually wearing my college jeans right now. I'm wearing my college jeans as maternity jeans. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what that says. <laughs> it says that I enjoyed college. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the only pair I held on to. But anyway, we're talking about transitions and change. And obviously I could probably go into my closet and let go of a few things. But in this episode, we have Emily Price. Uh, she's one of my favorite people and uh, she is an expert And she's actually also my cousin uh, through marriage. And she gives us some grounding techniques. And we talk about sort of this get over it culture we live in. And we talk about how to handle bad news gracefully. And so I've invited my husband, Adam Stiegel, of almost 10 years. Our baby's due date is actually a day before our 10-year wedding anniversary. And I've invited him on because he... That's the 10-year gift, right? Is a baby. Yeah. 10 year anniversary. For it's like you. silver or something, and then baby is 10. Yeah, I should probably get like a double push present, don't you think? I think so. I think that's appropriate. I've invited him on because a lot of us do uh, a lot of what people call future tripping. Like we kind of, we have a ton of anxiety about the upcoming change. And usually that anxiety uh, turns out to be unfounded. I think it's definitely worth giving voice to. And we talk about that in this episode as well, because Emily and I were both going to a family wedding this past weekend, and we talk about our anxieties. Here's the kicker. The thing that I had no anxiety about, I probably should have had anxiety about. But um, you can't. But you can't. Because you'll, ne- yeah, you'll never see it coming, guys. That's my husband's catchphrase. You'll never see it coming. And it's meant to calm, but it really, now that I'm saying it, it's re- I can see how that would actually induce more anxiety. Yeah. 
Yeah, Wonder but it's why. true. You'll never see it coming. Whatever you think is going to go wrong won't, and then something else will. Yes. I was like, we're through this. This trip is over. Oh, it's it was been a so great. great. It was a great weekend. My husband hates traveling, and he was like, this was wonderful. I love I Annapolis. I should have said that. I ruined it by saying this was you wonderful. You were like, I hate travel. Um, because you have a hard time with change, and the wedding was amazing. I don't have a hard time with change. I think it just I have like low grade agoraphobia. I just hate leaving my home. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a different. Or episode. I love my home. Maybe we frame it that way. I guess it was a beautiful weekend, and Sabrina was the flower girl, and every step she took walking down the aisle of this gorgeous chapel uh, at the Naval Academy. Uh, she waved to everybody <laughs> as she walked down the aisle, and it was the cutest thing ever. And it all went off without a hitch. And then we had a really late flight out from uh, D.C. It was 7.40. It was supposed to be no, like a no, I mean, not normal late if you have a kid. but And we actually, like, we packed up our stuff, and we drove into D.C., and we drove past the White House, and and then we went to the Smithsonian. And that was really cool because we got to see the flag that inspired the Star Spangled Banner. And just the, you know, the gift shop. There's like Make America Great hats mixing with the pink hats. You just felt like when we're buying tchotchkes, we're one country, you know? And then we saw that again at the airport. Literally as it was time to board the plane. It was like all the way up to like, oh, now we're going to get on the airplane and fly home. I don't They They grounded every flight of our airline in the United States of America. Yeah. Thanks, United. There was a computer problem. Um, then the you know, you'll never see it coming. Giant tsunami. It was literally like, oh my gosh, look how calm the water is. And then I looked behind us, and there was a six hundred foot wall of water bearing down upon us. Because our three year old was very tired, and I put her in a diaper for really long flights in case she falls asleep and pees. But she had already peed in one just for the fun of it. So we had one diaper left. And the funny thing was, I looked at the crowd waiting to board the plane. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is America. We've got all these women marchers and we've got Trump supporters all just like hanging out, waiting for the plane. Like, this is so peaceful and awesome. And then they were like, oh, you, we don't know when you're going to get on the plane. And, and everyone's was, tired. Uh, yeah. And I was like, you're really trying to like start a revolution here. Next thing you know, it's just a fight for sun chips. <laughs> <laughs> so uh a couple hours later we get on the plane there was strong headwinds so it took like six hours to get back sabrina obviously is exhausted because i mean at, at that point i don't even know what time her brain thought it was uh and then there was i mean whatever this is all like we've all been through this part of it like there's terrible turbulence and every 30 seconds ellie's looking at me being like i love you like if oh that... man it was so bad they even were like please put on your seatbelts make sure they're you know fastened tightly and then they came back on to be like make sure your small child has a, a seatbelt <laughs> on which ours did not because she was sleeping in my arms so then it became the like oh man i don't want no, there I'm, to be a big bounce, and then she hits her head on the ceiling. At the same time, I'm so scared of waking my daughter in the plane because she gets this weird kid. Well, you know, it's like when a kid just, isn't awake. It's like it's like a waking dream, and they're sort of she just, gets disoriented. Yeah, they're disoriented, and, she and you can't the whole time. you can't wake them up, and you know. So I opted instead to hold her in my arms, knowing that on an airplane there's really only two things that happen. One is that everything's okay, and the other is that okay. Too much? Our poor mothers that just came to listen to figure out how to handle overwhelming change. <laughs> yeah. so I'm so about. sorry, everyone. <laughs> so anyway, then the real fun began. It was a very began. rough ride. You know, the luggage 
finally came like an hour later. It's two in the morning. And no then, one's working anymore. And then there's no taxis. And then the taxis that do come don't have the little seatbelt thing. For so, the car seat. For the car seat. So then we had to like let five cabs go. Well, we picked the only cab that had the clips for the car seats and then we're driving home. And then, uh, I mean. We're on the freeway. It's 2.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the morning. And uh, LA time. Always something you want to hear your cab driver say. Uh, he says, I need to get gas. And I I was so exhausted at that point. I literally was like, I'm I'm sorry, what? Do you need to get, what do you mean you need to get gas? It's- He's sitting in the middle seat. But you know what? We you handled it so gracefully because I was about to just like lose it. Right. Um. I had lost my patience about seven hours earlier right. in the Dallas airport. Or t- that was like ten hours earlier yeah. in the Dallas airport. Well, I mean, you could tell the guy felt bad about it. He didn't. I mean, nobody, no cab driver wants to tell his passenger at two thirty in the morning that he has to the stop and family. get gas yeah. with the child in the, in the car seat. So, so we exit the freeway. We get to take a tour of Adams. College, USC, (laughs) USC, we get the gas and then we're driving home literally three blocks from our house. My daughter says she's sick and she projectile vomits all over herself in her car seat. Well, then it got even better after that. So then we so now (laughs) now we're like two blocks from home. Sabrina is covered and and covered in throw up. I mean, it's sun chips, like all the crap. And she feels so much better. So she looks at me and she's like, oh, it's not much. And I'm like, eh, it's a, it's actually like, a lot. At this point, it's like three in the morning. I am still very sensitive to smell. So this is when I, some would say yelled, others would say spoke firmly to Ellie. I carry Sabrina out. She's covered in throw up. It's raining and cold. I put her in front of the door. I pull her shirt off her because it's covered in puke. And then... Ellie has the key to get into the house, and then Sabrina starts crying because it's cold. Ellie starts to basically dry, dry heave. heave at the smell, <laughs> and then so I had to, I yelled at Ellie. I felt bad, but I was like, "Your daughter's in pain. Suck it up and get in the house." <laughs> uh, for some reason, our light outside our door isn't working, so I'm like trying to get the key in the keyhole while not breathing because my daughter's under me. I open the door. Our dogs haven't seen us in forever. The one dog smells so bad because of the rain. I leave our child in the living room, <laughs> just standing there, like half naked, covered in puke, to run to our bathroom so I can throw up in the toilet. And then she's scared because she's hearing these like animal sounds <laughs> coming out of the bathroom. And then the worst part for me personally was I'm in the cab cleaning out the puke covered car seat. And the cab driver asks me, and this made me feel terrible because it made it made it very clear that I was so tired that I looked incredibly old. He goes, did one of the kids get sick? Or maybe that's more of a reflection of how I was behaving. <laughs> I don't know. Either My way, <laughs> I just mumbled to myself, there was only one kid, but yes. He might have been stoned. We're not we sure. We don't know. I don't know. Anyway. We made it home safely. Don't worry, everybody. There wasn't puke in the cab. We didn't leave the guy with puke no, in the we cab. Cleaned we cleaned the did, cab. We, he, he got a big tip because... Because uh, <laughs> his night was ruined, too, and I felt bad. <laughs> and then Sabrina and I really bonded because she really likes being um, twins with things, like matching shirts. And then we were, <laughs> we were like, we were twin pukers. 
It so, was great. So it that was, was our was... night. You never see it coming, right? With transition and change. And I feel like we handled it as well as we could. So our guest today is Emily Price. She is a licensed clinical social worker and mom of two boys, almost three, living and working in New York City. She's been extensively trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and is a certified somatic experiencing practitioner. By the way, I want you guys, if you're interested in somatic experiencing or if you know anyone who has experienced PTSD, uh, just YouTube Peter Levine somatic experiencing. Um, I used the technique uh, after my tumor surgery and it's such a life changer. Uh, so she talks a little bit about that as well. And she's a psychotherapist in private practice and specializes in treating anxiety and trauma, particularly OCD, phobias, and PTSD. So please share with your mom friends. I love hearing from you all. Uh, so thanks for all the shout outs on social media. All right. We're going to be back with Emily Price. Uh, this is a really fun mom friend episode that has super, super helpful tips. We'll be right back. Emily Price, welcome on Atomic Moms. Thank you. I am not recording in our studio. I feel like I jinxed it by bragging about it uh, in our like holiday episode with my husband um, because there's been torrential downpours in Los Angeles and there's a massive leak and uh, water's been coming through the walls. <laughs> So we are recording uh, back in our guest room um, across from a construction site. And Emily, what's going on in your neck of the woods? <laughs> I'm sitting on the floor of my kitchen with my two boys uh, in the other room fighting over watching Indiana Jones, which is incredibly age inappropriate for them. Yeah, um, but because... it was the best thing to do. <laughs> James so is five and a half. How... Yes, James is five and a half, and, uh, and Jack is almost three, <laughs> watching a very inappropriate movie. But that's how we have to do it, right? This is what it means to be a mom. Uh, you you just told me that you were like, they weren't supposed to be home today. And I was like, well, this is how we roll. This is Atomic Moms. <laughs> yeah, well, it was one of those things where like Jack had a fever, and then James came home a little bit early because there was like a switch and a play date and it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to make this work. We're going to make it work. You are also due with your third baby boy, March 16th. Yeah. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. He's kicking me in the rib cage right now because he's got some <laughs> thoughts about how I'm sitting. So yeah, it's just kind of like crazy, but fun. I like, I like the chaos. I think that it's a little bit better than too much silence. So it's kind of fun. I think you have to say that as a, a mom of having three boys, right? Uh, yeah, I just have to embrace it. So you're an expert, but let's just consider this a mom friend episode. I need your help yeah. with transitions and motherhood. Yeah. So many. Oh my God. I sent you a list just off the top of my head. Yeah. It was like going from child free to bringing home a baby. Anxiety over sleep training, going back to work, a mother's anxiety in introducing solid foods, preschool, when a mom decides she's done having children. Are you done, by the way? I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm actually in the process of like making that decision about like tubal ligation and things like that, which is like sort of fascinating because I didn't think I would be making decisions that grown up at this stage in my life. But yeah, it's like because I just think I'm done. <laughs> this one kind of crept up on us. I'm so reluctant to like say that he was a surprise or anything like that. Cause I don't want him like 
I don't know, reading up on himself later right. and being horrified by the stuff I've said. I will be sharing the transcript at a, a at a family reunion. <laughs> at his high school graduation. Yes. <laughs> He'll be horrified. But yeah, so it's like, you know, just to bring it back to the whole transition thing. I mean, we had just moved back to New York. I had just gone full time with my private practice. We had finally gotten the kids into school. And then I found out I was pregnant and I was like, well, okay. All right. This is happening. So. Okay. So when you found out what were the steps you took as a specialist? How did you therapize yourself to be able to handle uh, the news? I usually kind of draw on this idea um, whenever there's like a big, either a shock or just a big transition. So part of my somatic experience training, and as, as you know, as like a fellow SE lover, um, you and I kind of were both taught this, this theory that has sort of stuck with me and been part of like a life mantra for me. They're, the reason why humans get PTSD after near-death experiences and wild animals don't is because we don't allow ourselves that natural neurosystem process <laughs> of being able to go from like a free state or a shock state to going back into our normal lives. So animals give themselves this time to breathe and process and almost like digest all the chemicals that have just flooded through them while, you know, they're going through some kind of major shock moment. They give themselves their whole body, their nervous system time to just accept that that part's over. And then they get to actually somehow regain, you know, back into a normal life. And so I didn't realize that we didn't give ourselves time to do that because we have this extra portion of our brain where we intellectualize and we think about what we should do and what we should be feeling. And we don't let ourselves react in the moment. So I just let myself react. I mean, I was so surprised and so shocked and I just kind of let myself be shocked because a lot of times when there's something like a pregnancy, we're supposed to respond a certain way. I mean, as a mom Mm -hmm. already, it felt like I was being cruel or something to the baby by being upset or by being like angry because I just signed this lease on this office. <laughs> you know, like it seemed so petty to be upset about that kind of I just let myself be sad or just shocked. And I let myself like feel all the different emotions, even if they were a little controversial in the moment. Um, and then once I let myself do that, then I was kind of okay. You know, you go into this place of acceptance and being like, oh, this is fantastic. You know, like this isn't going to kill me. And, you know, as my husband <laughs> Baker said in the moment, like, we've never been in a good place to have kids. So like, why start now? You know, like, like, so it's totally fine. So that's how I did it. Oh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. We've never been. And that's true. You guys have been on such a wild ride. It's been really incredible. You guys are college sweethearts. Yes. So we were both 19. I mean, the past 15 years have been just like every single type of change and every type of journey. And it's been pretty wild. So this idea that we shouldn't judge how we're feeling, even if it is a moment of shock, how do you get through the shock, though, to, to actually metabolizing the feelings and the chemicals that are rushing through your body? Yeah. So a lot of times, like whether with myself or with patients, I'll just first have them ground themselves. So just feeling, maybe feeling their feet or sitting down for a moment and just sort of breathing or um there's little grounding techniques where you can do something where you name three things you see, three things you feel, 
like that you can touch through things you smell and you kind of go through all the senses and you just let your body sort of sit. Like you just kind of pretty much stop what you're doing and just like sit or stand in a nice steady place and let yourself sort of take stock. And it's like, okay, I'm sitting here and this thing just happened and I feel incredibly overwhelmed. So if I'm overwhelmed, I just need to cry. Other people need to do push-ups, or they need to do squats, or they need to take lots of deep breaths or listen to music or call somebody or pray or any of those things. You just let yourself do all those things. And it might feel inconvenient. It might feel silly. It might feel indulgent. But I'm telling you, I mean, it just saves so much time. And I'm fascinated every time. People are always worried, like, well, this is going to take too long, or people are going to notice this. And I'm like, I'll have them do it in session, or I'll do it myself. And it's like maybe two minutes sometimes. It's sometimes... 30 seconds. Other times it takes a long time because it's a very serious situation that just needs a lot more time. But I mean, generally I'm always shocked at how little time it takes and how much better you feel afterwards. So yeah, I usually would say like, if you're having that freeze moment, you just have to kind of like find any place in your body that is calling out to you or that you can actually find and just like sit with it and just sort of let it grow and let it have all just become a little bit more grounded. Um, and once that happens, then you can make, you know, better decisions and kind of go from there. But you really have to ground yourself first. Or at least I know I have to. We live in this culture where everyone just says, get over it. Oh, I know. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> no, and no one teaches you how to. Yeah. I sometimes want to say like, but you're missing a step. Yeah running this podcast, like I've reflected on my own early childhood. And then I read all this stuff about attachment studies. And if I sort of try to untangle the web of my early childhood, Mm -hmm. and then I'm get the like, we'll get over it. And you're like, but but we haven't even gone into it. Like, how can I get over it if I don't know what happened? Yeah, The, the craziest thing is like, I work with people who've been through all levels of trauma. And every single person. It doesn't matter the horrible, horrible things that they've been through that like stuff that I, I thought only happens like in books or movies or something. They are always at some point, they say like, I, I just, I should be over this by now. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Why would you? And this whole idea of just get over it. I mean, yeah, you can drink or smoke or I don't know, watch a lot of TV and, and kind of you know, block it out for a little bit, but it's always going to come back. And, and that's usually when people come in for treatment is when it's affecting their relationships or their sleep or function, like overall functioning. And so, no, it, I mean, I think it would be very convenient and I wouldn't really have much of a job if we could just get over it, but we can't. And so I think we just have to kind of stop saying that to each other and stop saying that to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But I, well, well, listen, the background noise is great. I feel like it's, uh, yeah, no, it's totally fine with me if it's not distracting to you. Okay. No, it's not distracting. I'm so used to this. I've got a buzzsaw across the street. I'm good. Uh, (laughs) Your background noise sounds much (laughs) more calming than mine. And I, and I understand the point when people say get over it because you don't want to just rehash things again and again. And like, that's not helpful either. Yeah. And I think there's right. certain types of therapy that are not that effective because you end up just sort of like 
repeating your sad song and, you know, it's like it's not effective. Um, But what you're saying Mm -hmm. and through somatic experiencing that you are able to not get over it, but like move through it. Yeah, exactly. That's perfectly said. So I was trained in, I was trained cognitive behaviorally and and that is like my go-to modality, which pretty much is just means that we have to work on your behaviors and your thoughts and your feelings and how they all work, um, particularly when it comes to anxiety treatment. But I always found that there was just something sort of missing um, in the treatment that I was doing. Probably just, you know, other people have it. I just was really, I felt like something I needed a little bit more. And so I found this treatment strategy, somatic experiencing, and it's um, it just works with the body a little bit more. And it just adds this extra layer of communication where sometimes, and again, I think that what you're saying about like rehashing that, you know, the same stuff over and over again can drive it you know, drive us crazy when our friends do it or when people mm-hmm. won't let something go or something like that is there's something that's not getting resolved. If someone's telling the same story over and over again, like I always think about that, like you can tell when someone's told a story a million times and the yep. way that they tell it and stuff. And it's like, well, there must be like some need that's not being met. Like you, something's not getting through. It's not processing. It's just sort of like a record on repeat. Um, so you know, this idea of using your body and kind of using different sensations to help, you know, the idea. And again, everyone will kind of describe it differently, but the idea that I see of somatic experiencing is that it's accessing the different parts in our body that maybe things got stuck. So like if you had been in a car accident and you didn't get to see the car coming at you, then you might have sort of this weird tension or hypervigilance or something in your neck. And suddenly when you talk about the car accident, you notice that your neck hurts all the time. And so the actual treatment is to say, okay, stay with the neck rather than saying this is stupid or I shouldn't have this weird pain in my neck. And people will find that the more they stay with it, suddenly they notice that all they want to do is turn their head. And it's all left over from this trauma of the car accident where they didn't get to turn their head and see the car coming. And sometimes it's as simple as like in session, you talk through the experience, so the memory of the car accident, but you actually let yourself turn and imagine the car coming. And then it just sort of completes this really natural cycle. And it's fascinating how certain pain goes away or certain anxiety goes away. If you just let yourself finish it, you know, it's almost like this incomplete cycle Mm -hmm. that's occurred. And we can do that in so many different memories. It doesn't have to just be accidents or kind of shock traumas like that. It can be kind of anything. When you, and I, and I, the point of the episode was supposed to be transitions, but I want to talk to you about like everything on the planet. I'm going to try and stay focused. <laughs> but when you were going through the transition of pregnancy to becoming a mom, I know that you had a very difficult labor. How did mm-hmm. you complete that cycle for yourself so that you weren't locked in trauma after your childbirth? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because it's funny when you mentioned the birth, I even like, it just shows how much work I've left to do, but like, I haven't, like, I don't even really remember much of the birth just because I don't know, you might remember um, that James, my first ended up having all sorts of like health issues and he needed surgeries and medications and like constant doctor visits. So it was just like, it was our first baby. Baker was, my husband was a second year resident as a doctor in the hospital that we delivered in. And like the joke is that we had to induce James because Baker wasn't going to be able to attend the birth otherwise. So like we had to have it scheduled so that he could be there. 
So like James wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. But like it was that or Baker wouldn't be there. I mean, it was crazy. And we didn't do the same thing with Jack, you know? And the funniest thing is that I wasn't even trained in this stuff at the time. And so suddenly I would be, you know, years later, I'd be talking about this stuff and I would just burst out crying, you know, like, I would mm-hmm. just be, like devastated <laughs> telling these stories about, you know, the surgeries and, and all that stuff in the time in the hospital. And, um, so it was like, I, I definitely kind of forced myself to not process it and not ever, it like, it took me a long time to really work through it. Um, just because I was trying to push myself through, I was trying to say, well, I, have a newborn baby. I just had this very complicated thing happen. And now I'm in a hospital bed with, you know, in a intensive care unit with my five a day old who has to get surgery. It was just crazy, you know, but like what the amazing thing is that even if I wasn't processing it in the moment, I was able to go back, like, you know, through my own treatment and really be able to kind of give myself time to just breathe and, and realize what was happening and what was changing and all the stuff I was having to deal with. And so even if, you know, you don't handle the transition in the moment, um, you can still go back and really resolve quite a few things. At least I believe it. I've seen it happen for other patients and I've had it happen for myself. That's wonderful. Especially for moms who are, have a lot of anxiety about, you know, their next birth. Are you feeling anxiety about your third birth? I'm so like, all right. So with my first, I was the most anxious person ever because I, you know, my husband was busy and we, I just gotten a job, (laughs) a very similar situation. (laughs) I got pregnant the first time. Um, (laughs) You'd think I'd learn. Um, And then the second time um, with Jack, it was like when I was, I was really far into my job. And so I was very comfortable with it. And, um, he was really planned. He was actually like, we took some fertility meds so I could get pregnant with him just because I was having trouble. And like, he was just so, it was so part of the plan. And I was in somatic experiencing training at the time. So I was like totally blissed out. And, you know, the transition still got me. I mean, it's just because I think that we sometimes forget, like, this is a big effing deal. Like, this is not and like nothing is easy. And just because maybe you feel more prepared one time or the other, it doesn't make it any easier. So, um, or it doesn't, you know, or just because something was terrible, like, or really, really difficult. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, a traumatizing experience. So I think that I just realized that you just have to go with it. (laughs) And I think I'm realizing that with this one, it's like, I'm kind of keeping an open mind. Um, it could be it's scary. I'm going to try to prepare as much as possible. Baker's not a resident anymore, which is amazing. <laughs> he's not a doctor anymore. Oh, my God. I know he's not practicing. It's so fantastic. You guys, so, our audience is so confused. They're like, wait, he was a doctor and now he's not. Now he's doing something yeah. in computers. You guys are full of transitions. I want to ask you about the moves because I have a lot of friends that are moving right now. I think a lot of families sort of like max out their space and start looking. For you guys, you went from New York City. This is after you had your children. Um, You went Mm -hmm. from New York. You moved to Cambridge uh, for Baker's Fellowship at Harvard. You know, just going to brag for a second. And Mm -hmm. then from Cambridge to Queens. So what do you say to your children to prepare them for such a big change because their whole world will be different. But also, like, what do you say to yourself to sort of psych yourself up for it? 
the worst person at transitions. Like I probably would have just stayed in like a nice, comfortable area of Connecticut um, for most of my life if it weren't for Baker, because my husband's sort of the opposite and he's adventurous and, you know, he likes, he, he gets excited about change. Whereas like, seriously, I mean, we've moved seven times, I think, together as a couple. And the funniest thing is I was recently going through a bunch of our photos because 15 years of our relationship and in any picture where I was like super thin and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so thin here. You know, like when you get excited and you see pictures like that, cause you're just when you're not anymore. And I was like, Oh, that's right. It's because we're moving. So it's like every single time I would lose like 20 or 30 pounds because of stress, because I was such, I was so anxious about moving. It, seriously, like up until last summer. Wait, we did a kitchen remodel when I was in my second trimester last time with Sabrina. And um, yeah, and yeah, I was really fit looking, but I think it's because we did a kitchen remodel and it was so stressful. <laughs> yeah, I was just anxious. Like I wasn't doing anything right. That's just me when we moved. No, isn't that horrible? You're like, yeah, that's me ill, everybody. Like that's when I'm at my worst. But thanks for the compliment. <laughs> I know I get so horrified, especially because I'm just like, oh, wow, that's a great thing. I'm like, oh, my God, no, no, no. I was not doing well. Right, exactly. <laughs> really struggling. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I kind of have to embrace like a little bit of like that mom chubbiness that comes. <laughs> just like, well, it means I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about that transition, so, too. But go on about moving. Yeah. So moving, like I I think that it's it definitely like the the things that I have learned for myself is like, you just keep whatever you can constant, like certain things like, you know, there's, and again, like in sometimes when something's really scary and changing, it's like any resources that you have. So what are the things that you absolutely know? Like I knew that, like, I think my husband is the coolest, like hottest thing ever. (laughs) So I'm just like, okay, whatever. I think he's super cool and I want to come with him and I love him so much and we get to have this adventure together. So it's not like, oh, I'm excited to move to Queens with him. It's, <laughs> I think he's super cool and we're going to make this work. Or I know that I'm, you know, good at finding a grocery store and cooking. So usually it's like the first thing that I do is like go find a grocery store, even if it's like a weird one and I don't know what it is and I don't know where anything is. Like, I, that's so I always have certain things. I need to have the kitchen. I need to, and again, not like I'm, you know, creating any kind of gourmet meals, but I just want to be able to do certain things that are in my comfort zone that yeah. make me feel like me. Like what are your, what are your touchstones? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like the resources in your life that like don't change no matter where you are, whether you're traveling or you're moving or you're, you know, comfortable. So I like to have running shoes so I can just sort of jog around the neighborhood. That was a big thing that my husband taught me to do. Um, I like to know, I don't know, just like basic things, like where I can get, you know, like where's the closest store for basic things. And like once you can kind of get your bearings. So like, for example, I'll have a lot of people that I'll treat who maybe are students and they are doing study abroad. And the thing I'm always telling them is like, find the place to get coffee, find the place to get food, find the place that has good internet. And then just like, the more that you get your bearings, the more you find your resources and you kind of are yourself again, like the more you're going to feel comfortable and you're going to be able to branch out more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So I've been using that strategy, especially with my kids. So like we find the place they like to go to and then they can kind of make it like work for them, you know, like 
say they, there's a certain store they like to go to or a certain park or playground. And then we just keep going to that place, same place over and over again until they become a little bit more comfortable. So I find that that's super helpful. Um, we're also big on like getting the bedroom set up <laughs> for the kids. So like, again, we'll have the kitchen and then the kids room and then nothing else in the house. Um, and as long as we have that stuff, then generally we're okay. Um, so it's just like, again, finding those little constants that you can so that you're not feeling like you've lost everything. That's really, really helpful. Going back to like the chubby mom thing, what, <laughs> just for a moment, and I don't want to bore our listeners, but you and I are about to see each other at a family oh, wedding. And yeah. I am, well, I'm so grateful that you're like on the verge of giving birth. <laughs> yes. One of the things I'm anxious about is sort of that I look different. And kind of bracing myself for any obnoxious comments that might come out of family members' mouths. Yeah. It's a bummer because you're like, this, you should be, you're going to see your family. Like, you shouldn't already have your hackles up. No, but let's challenge that. So, again, like, you know how you're saying, all right, so, yeah, we should be feeling a certain way. I should be feeling something. You should be feeling something. But let's just admit how we are feeling and then go from there. So, how are, like, what's actually this, you know, like what's the concern and how are you actually feeling? About this? Oh my God. Well, I have so many concerns that we could process about going to this wedding. <laughs> <laughs> this is your uh, brother-in-law, by the way, who's getting married and Sabrina's going to be a flower girl. All of our children are in the wedding and it's yes. so sweet. And I'm very excited about that. Although I'm going to create, I think like a flower girl Academy this weekend for Sabrina to try to like explain <laughs> to her what the steps would be um, mm-hmm. because she could totally go rogue. I also want to talk about the election. Um, We're Mm pre-recording this, and uh, you and I will be about 30 miles from the Capitol steps uh, Mm -hmm. during the inauguration um, because the wedding is outside of D.C. And um, we have a ton of conservative relatives. And so I'm just sort of like bracing myself for comments about the Women's March, all of that. I know. But then also, yeah, it's like that I look different. Like there's, and I'm judging myself about my superficiality and I've been really, really sick this trimester and haven't been Mm -hmm. able to exercise at all. And as long as I'm putting food in my mouth, like I don't feel like throwing up. So it feels justifiable. That was my problem too. I know. Yeah. Because like actually in the process of eating, you're actually okay. Exactly. And then you know, as soon as you stop, you're going to feel sick. Exactly. the worst. Exactly. I I wish I weren't so sensitive to comments, I guess. I know, but I mean, wouldn't that be great if we weren't? But like, I don't know. I made a whole career out of being sensitive and you kind of have to. Yeah, that's true. Good point. So, yeah. So it's like, maybe we just say, okay, yeah, this is something like I know. I'm like, this was actually, all right. So I will just tell you, um, the minute I found out I was pregnant and then the minute I found out that, um, the wedding was going to be in January, I was like, no, you know, like that feeling of like, because I gained with my previous two pregnancies, I gained like 60 pounds per baby. And I was like, I'm going to be enormous and wearing a maternity, like bridesmaid's dress yep. in front of my husband's entire family. Like yeah. I was, I'm, I'm blushing just thinking about this right and now. And you know, the photos, the photos are going to be on the wall for all eternity. Ever, ever. And so that's the thing is like, I think we just let ourselves just admit like, no, this isn't that, like, this isn't a fun thing. Obviously we're not going to like, you know, 
I'm not going to throw my glass of water down during the ceremony and like, you know, storm off because I feel gross and big, but like, we're not, you know, it's not about making it about yourself, but I do think that just admitting like, yeah, this is definitely not ideal. It's not what I would like. Like, cause I, when I was talking to James, um, it was like a week before I had him and I was in a very, very close friend of mine in her wedding in Philadelphia. And the photos of me are like a joke. Like I look like I have a giant beach ball under my dress. And still to this day, people will comment like, Oh man, I remember seeing those photos. Like you were huge. So I'm like, ah, I was, I know. See, that's, that's my problem. Like if I could live in a bubble or like if you and I could just be on a commune with all of the atomic moms listeners, I'd be so good. Like, because it's not about how we look and I, and I don't want Sabrina to feel that way. But it's these little comments that we sort of collect over the years about we, that we hear about other people that, or mm-hmm. about ourselves that just sort of go on replay. What would you say to the rest of uh, the country um, about, you know, the inauguration and so many things changing in our world? It's a huge transition for all of us. Do you have any tips yeah. So I, I was thinking about this a lot too, because actually my mom is going to, I mean, again, not to like out myself, but my mom's going to be at the March, which I'm just so proud of her. Like, wow. I'm so proud that she's representing and like, it's been, it's, it's been really intense. Um, you know, um, again, on both sides. I love it. Your mom's going to be at the March and you're going to be at my family's, like my Republican family's. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and my sister Caitlin is coming with me to help me with the kids because she's a goddess and she has three kids and she's going to help all of us. She's helping. Like she's, I I don't know how I would do this without her. And like, we're going to be here and like my mom's going to be in DC. And like, my thought is I think that whenever there's something coming up and people are worried about feeling like they're getting anxious about something, especially something that is really divisive and they want to have good etiquette and they want to have, um, like feel in control and not feel kind of overly anxious. And so whether it's, you know, comments that people are going to make about how big I am and, you know, people are going to be comparing us, I bet, you know, because people just say things that they don't understand that they're being, they're, they think they're being funny and it's actually just really no, There are some members of our family um, that have a terrible sense of humor. Yeah, and it's going to happen. And, you know, so I actually, I'm a big believer in just anticipating it and then having some sample scripts. Um, Ooh, that's sample a big, scripts. Like, Emily Post. Okay. Yeah, like, can I plug another, another um, podcast I really love? Of course. It's, um, awesome etiquette. Um, it's like changed my life because it gives us, it gives you permission to have some go-to scripts ahead of time. Um, I actually recommend it to like all of my patients because it's so fascinating for people, especially who are anxious. It gives you yeah. sort of a playbook to go by. And so like that there actually are some things that you can do that are like good etiquette that makes you feel a little bit more in control and a little bit more empowered. So I think that you and I just have to go into this and have some sample things that we're going to say, whether it's about politics or, I mean, again, because I think people like to bait me um, a little bit about politics. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm just going to say no comment. Exactly. So I think that instead, like we can go into this and say, like if someone says something about the dress, like, or the fact that I'm wearing this bridesmaid's dress, it's just going to look I mean, it's such a beautiful dress and I'm just going to be taking away any dignity. Of Stop dress. it. Like, but <laughs> it's just, it's just, oh, but you know, 
I think that we just go into it and I have my set things I'm going to say so that I can feel in control of the situation. Mm. I can immediately transition if someone makes a comment about the dress or if someone makes a comment about how you look, we can immediately say like, I, yeah, but isn't Lisa beautiful today or you know, something right. like that was the bride, you know, or something like that. Um, just to kind of not have to do that, not to have to be polite or not have to be, you know, putting ourselves through more anguish just because we're so embarrassed. <laughs> we're trying to be good guests. We can just, you know, I don't know. We can just find our little ways of, of handling it. Yeah. And I think remembering that it's not about us, like it's about their wedding and remembering that like yeah. some members of the family just say dumb things all the time. So it's not personal. It's really about them. Yeah. Uh, and also yeah. for me, like, what am I modeling for Sabrina? And sort of what is yeah. this baby inside of me metabolizing um, in a really hippy dippy way? But like, if I'm sort oh, of I like know. judging myself all the time, like, this poor little thing inside of me is like, hey, mom, I'm really busy, like, trying to grow ears here. Like, can you calm down about, like, your cheeks? Like, no one cares. Like, I, this, I'm a miracle. <laughs> Hello. Hello, mom. <laughs> I'm a miracle. Uh, so if I can keep remembering that, um, I'll be good. And I'm definitely you know going to look up the, the awesome etiquette, uh, the scripts, because that's such a good idea. Like, how can we kind of prepare? Yeah. One thing I, I'm going through right now uh, regarding transitions actually has to do with my own mom. Mm. And I think this is such an important topic because children look up to us for like our reaction, right? Like starting from day one, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. is our parent mirroring back to us? Or if I fall mm -hmm. on the playground, like what did mom do? Did she freak out? Because then yeah. I should totally yeah. freak out. And with big changes, like how do they handle them? And so as a mom, it's really important for me to you know, work on this for myself because I'm taking the lead. And uh, mm -hmm. and if I can handle a transition gracefully, but also honestly uh, and authentically, then, you know, Sabrina will be in a much better place. So when mm -hmm. I told my mom that I was pregnant again, she had no reaction. And mm. it keeps coming up because people keep saying like, oh, what did your mom say? And and yeah. I'm like, she didn't say anything. Like her body, like her, <laughs> she didn't move. And it, and I'm going through the script in my mind of like, you know, this isn't a teen pregnancy. Like she knows I've been trying to get pregnant for a while. Like, <laughs> like Adam yeah. has a job. Like this isn't sort yeah. of like her having to figure out how to deal with it because like she doesn't need to. Yeah. On like a practical level. So I'm I'm trying to come at this from a place of like learning and not just mm -hmm. like sort of just like what are you talking about like just you've seen this moment in a million movies like just pretend like just jump out of your chair and give me a hug it was she was frozen yeah I don't like she didn't know how to handle the change yeah Ellie I think that you're making such an amazing point that I don't know if I've really ever thought about which is like can we give other people time to process their own transitions you know like like what's it like to witness someone being sort of stuck in something, you know, like witnessing someone not having the reaction, just like I, you know, I have to give myself grace to not have the right reaction, but right. something that I, you know, something that I, and I, I don't know if this is sort of the same thing, but something that I am always fascinated by is people's, um, Reaction, something that I was doing some research on kind of years ago, but people's reactions to a disclosure of a trauma. So, for example, like 
what happens when you tell someone something really upsetting or something that happened to you when you were little um, and something that is, you know, very, very difficult to tell. Like, so, and then how do people react? And it's sort of this whole idea that a lot of times people react very poorly. And so, you know, it's very interesting to think about it as what do you do if someone responds like to really good news poorly? Like, I guess I've never really thought about it, but it's, what if it's the same thing, you know, like what if it's actually the same process? Being married into this family, I am so surprised that it's taken you that long. (laughs) It's like, you know, but it's so interesting. And, And I actually like typed up guidelines like to give to people how, like based on research that I've done to a lot of research um, out of like University of Oregon and places like that about like really what to say and what to do when someone tells you something really intense or really upsetting, like when they disclose some kind of like a child trauma Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, But it's interesting to think that, you know, maybe people need the same, the same information for when something's really good, you know, which is pretty much just like, you know, like go along with the mood of, of the person disclosing and, you know, like just listen and be as supportive as possible. But something I've always found too, is that even if you mess up the first time, generally you can go back and fix it, you know? So it's like, it's not too late. Like it can be years later. You could have handled something really poorly. You could have, you know, made it at a time because you didn't really know what else to do. Or like, you know, with your mom, just like been completely frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times if you go back, you can fix it. Um, if you go back and say like, wow, I'm really sorry. I know that I did not respond well to that. Um, let's talk about it. This is, I've thought a lot about it since, and this is how I feel about it since. And, you know, kind of going back and trying to make some reparations. And I just wonder, um, you know, maybe there's still space in your relationship with your mom for that to occur around this baby. Because also you know, when we make a decision that other people haven't made, I mean, the fact that I'm having a third, it's amazing how people have been responding. And so maybe even just your experience of having a second when she, when she didn't, you know? Right. That's a great point. And also that, God, it's just weird. If you just realize that your child is literally just asking you to like adore them, then I think things will be a lot easier. Yeah, for real transitions, man. It's interesting. And we're just full of them. Have you guys experienced like pet loss or a family member passing away? And how do yeah, you, how yeah. have you personally dealt with it? I think you kind of brought up an interesting point about what we witness from our parents and, you know, in our family and what's the norm. And, um, you know, I'm a much more sensitive person than um, most of my family members, at least my parents. And um, so I kind of had to figure out how I handle things versus maybe how they do. Um, and, you know, for me, maybe it just takes me a really long time to process grief or process the loss. And the amazing thing is like, if you, as long as you don't compare yourself to other people, I think that you just let it happen. So like if a pet dies and one person is really upset and the other person just doesn't really get it, I think you just respect both sides. Um, and the person who, you know, I, I think that the person who needs more time or or needs more, um, just generally more time to digest things, um, you know, they don't suddenly then get all the attention. They don't get all the, the space of the room. Um, 
they're not using other people to help them soothe. They're, they're, you know, dealing with their own stuff. I think that's a big part of it is just because you're being like, just because I'm super sensitive doesn't mean that everyone then gets to kind of like cater to me and be like, well, I'm really still having a hard time. Like <laughs> there's none of that in my house, luckily. <laughs> but, that's good training um, for being a know, mother so. of three boys. Cause you're not going to get a lot of uh, <laughs> foot rubbing. Like hand holding. No, I, yeah, I don't even get a shower to myself. Everyone's <laughs> just like their way in and has all sorts of things to say. I don't even get to be on this phone call without them having something. So, right. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Um, you know, but so I think that a big part of it is like, you know, even if you, if you are more sensitive and you need more time, um, something I work with my patients on a lot is like just making sure that you are soothing yourself. You're not asking other people to fix things for you. You're able to, you know, give yourself as much time and as much space and as many resources as possible, but we don't then expect people to do it for us. Um, so as long as you do that, then, you know, you take as much time as you need, um, you know, talk about things when it's appropriate for, for the group, um, you know, inappropriate for you. And, um, you know, also just being really careful about what you say to people. <laughs> That's the other big thing. Um, going through something really upsetting. And um, actually, what in that little thing that I kind of wrote up about um, how to handle a disclosure, um, of when someone tells you something upsetting or something um, that's happened to them, a big part of it is don't ask questions that are only for your benefit. So, for mm. example, like, you know, if someone... Um, say they were in a terrible car accident, someone died. Don't ask a question like that's really just to reassure yourself that it wouldn't happen to you. So something like, well, were you driving too fast? Right. You know, something like that. Because really it doesn't matter to the person giving the story, it, but it, it's your way of trying yes. to get distance from it. Totally. So, oh, man, I feel you there. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the so, time. Or, like, were they wearing a seatbelt? Yeah. Were they wearing a helmet? How are the ways that I'm going to avoid yeah. death? Exactly, because the whole point of that is not to really, it's not to help the person who's telling you their story. It's really just to get distance from it. Um, right. Or if someone has a miscarriage, I remember the episode that you did about pregnancy loss. And, you know, a lot of the questions I've always found are things like, well, were you really stressed out? <laughs> it's oh, like, first of all, that's just blaming the other person, you know, like that's suggesting somehow that you had something to do with it. But it's also, I think in a way is saying like, well, as long as I say, stay relaxed and that this won't happen to me or someone I love, you know, so so make sure those questions are not based on your own needs. That's so important. What do you think was the biggest change for you in becoming a mother? I would say I became a lot more confident, which is not at all what I thought would happen. I didn't even really know if I wanted to have kids. I mean, I feel like I don't want to say that out loud. I've said it. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Right. I was like, and like, I wasn't good with kids. I wasn't a good babysitter. I wasn't a good, um, you know, like I was just terrible with that kind of stuff. Um, and so I was so surprised by how much I liked being a mom. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, I work, I, you know, always, I went back to work and I have a crazy kid with me right now, but it. like, it's great. You know, <laughs> I hope so. it's totally <laughs> so, great. But yeah. So it's like, um, I, I was surprised by how much, um, I could kind of make it my own thing. You know, like we bring the kids to fish shows and we go camping and like, we just do a bunch of weird stuff that like, is not 
necessarily what maybe, you know, my friends or family do, um, but we could just be kind of like big weirdos on our own and realizing that as long as I do it on my own terms and kind of in my own style, then I can have a lot of fun and be really confident about it. Then it's, it's just fantastic, you know? So that's probably the thing that surprised me the most. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for fitting us in. You are one busy mom juggling it all. Uh, I'm and... like so embarrassed at like how out of breath I've been <laughs> walking around the kitchen, like, trying to put out little fires with the kids. And so I'm like, I'm worried that I'm coming across as, like out of breath. <laughs> this is okay. amazing. This is the best. This is why Give we do the show. <sighs> I love it. Uh, thank well, you. Thank you for the show, Ellie. <laughs> Thank I'm you. glad to say, I, I'm proud to say that I'm one of the early, early supporters of your show, early listeners. So, and, and I'm excited for, for more and more. So thank you so much. Uh, all those texts you sent me over the years have really uh, kept me chugging along. Uh, so thank you. And to our listeners, please subscribe yeah. on iTunes, uh, go to iTunes.com backslash atomic moms on your iPhone. There's a podcast app already on it. Just search Atomic Moms and hit subscribe. Leave a review. It helps us with our ranking, which helps new moms find us. Uh, And more important than all of that, please tell a mom friend. Just tell a mom friend this week. Steal our phone. Subscribe for her. um, And share with her your favorite episodes and what you like about us. Uh, Until next week, trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Atomic Moms.